it was just kind of interesting to see just how well balanced and how easy it is to get a well balanced drink, you know. And so I think the other thing about this journey for me has been now that I know how to make something simple and easy, what does changing this ingredient do to this cocktail? And what gin do I actually like in this? Now I can be that person that says, oh, can you make me a Negroni with this type of gin instead of this type of gin? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Decoding Cocktails podcast. I'm your host, Chris LeBeau. The goal of this show is to understand the inner workings and evolution of mixology, hospitality, and community. As I further my own knowledge of the field, I'm inviting you to join me. You'll hear me interview people from around the industry about their work and beliefs. If you like what you hear, the best way to keep up is to subscribe via the podcast app you use. And if you think others will like this, I invite you to share an episode or write a review. Your words help grow our audience. And you can keep up with the latest news via our newsletter, Cocktail Confidential, or see what we're working on via Instagram. And please reach out. I'd enjoy hearing what you liked, learned, and what else you'd like to see me dig into. So let's get into it. My guest today is Kayla Williams. By day, she's a public defender. So as Kayla puts it, when the pandemic came along... Uh, Some people found various crafts at home, and she found craft cocktails. Uh, Her hobby, as she says, has been a fun outlet from work, and you can always, uh, you should look her up on her Instagram page at Daily Cordial. Kayla gets quite experimental. uh, It's very impressive. Um, But ultimately, uh, she wants everybody to know great cocktails are accessible everywhere to everyone. So Kayla and I, we recorded this conversation probably last fall and obviously took a little while to get the podcast out in general. But as I began looking at ordering and kind of the rollout procession of this, with Kayla having found uh, cocktails right around the beginning of the pandemic, uh, this this time actually felt perfect because we're right around the two-year anniversary of when she would have first found cocktails. So as as Kayla recounts in the interview, uh, she remembers being in Nashville with some friends and having some fantastic drinks there, and that really kind of igniting a fire underneath her, her starting to patronize other local bars in town. And with enough enthusiasm at that point, uh, buying a cocktail book called The New Cocktail Hour by Andre Darlington. I'll have a link to the book in the show notes. But, you know, I think we've all know this story. She uh, found the book. She was excited about it, took it home. Oh, my God, I'm so excited to start making cocktails. And, of course, it just languished there. And once she was at home, at the start of COVID in particular, with nothing or little to do, uh, the book opened, and it really ignited her passion for cocktails, which is a lot of fun. Kayla had a couple of – I asked if she had any uh, lessons as a home bartender for people to know. Uh, the first thing she says is taste things before you put them in a drink. So whether that's a bottle of gin, bottle of tequila, your Cointreau, an Amaro, Campari, taste that thing on its own. What does it taste like? Better understanding what that tastes like is important and just as importantly, 
if you have something else to taste it alongside. If you have two gins, or shoot, you have a gin and a vodka, taste those two things side by side. Get a feel for what one is going to impart into a drink versus another. Another one was a basic tip for actually stocking the home bar, which was when you're out at uh, a good cocktail bar, what's in the rail right in front of the bartender? What are they reaching for? You know, someone orders uh, a whiskey sour, you know, and they don't call a particular liquor. What are they reaching for? What are they using? Because a lot of times they're finding good workhorse spirits there that probably aren't going to be terribly expensive um, and are very passable for pretty much anything. In particular, though, when I asked about what people should have on their bar, Kayla talked about gin. She said, a lot of my girlfriends, they, like, I don't drink gin. It's just not my thing. And when she, with enough coaxing, got them to lean into and try a gin cocktail, they were like, oh my gosh, wow, this is great. This doesn't taste like those bad memories that I have. So something you'll hear me probably talk about all the time in this in this podcast is inviting you back to try things that you don't think you like. I was in a class last night with a couple of guys and one of the guys said to me, I don't typically think of myself as a whiskey person, but rather than have whiskey neat or in an old fashioned, we had it in a whiskey sour style thing. He goes, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. So just my constant invitation to you to say, what don't you think you like and inviting you back to try it. Speaking of that, one thing she mentioned that I've admit I've had before but know very little about and have messed very little with myself is slow gin. So what in the heck is slow gin? So a slow, S-L-O-E, is actually a cousin of the plum and has kind of a, so obviously one part plum-like, raisin-like, and because it's often when it's steeped in gin... Uh, that's how we make a liqueur. So you start with a gin, and then we're steeping these uh, kind of macerated slows in there. Also, the pits are in there too, and so it gives it a little bit of a nutty quality. Um, this is a liqueur. It's not a spirit, so it's going to be a little bit lower proof. Uh, I see that anywhere from 15 to 30%, my guess is the lower the proofing, the sweeter it's going to be. Um, but this is something where it can be a fun a uh, new thing to put on the home bar, and I'm planning to use Kayla's reminder of this as an excuse to go out and buy myself a bottle and start messing around with it. We also talk a little bit about, you'll be happy to know that in this interview, we cover things you're definitely expecting, like artists uh, Busta Rhymes and Puff Daddy, in that Kayla recounts, you know, in college, uh, being a African-American woman in particular, looking around at her and many of her friends during, uh, during college, uh, songs like Pass the Crevassier were big, and so cognac was very big for her. But it took on this connotation for her, especially drinking it in, hey, like we all did, not drinking it in great cocktails when we were younger. It was something she never saw herself drinking again, and she's brought that back onto her shelf. And for me, I would think of that, as I've probably said before, as like rum and tequila, things that I did not think I was going to like, and now I drink as much as anything else. The, the final thing you'll hear Kayla talk about is a couple of things she likes to batch if friends are coming over to perhaps give you some tips, and we'll be sure to have some recipes in there. So that covers kind of the... Uh, 
the basics there, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kayla. Kayla, thanks for taking time to be on my new podcast here. I'm, uh, it's, it's it's nice to be back in your home right here. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great idea, and it's good to have you back. It's weird to not have alcohol in front of us right now. It's true. Well, and, and maybe for for afterwards, I did I did bring something I don't think you have to to, okay. to, to share. Uh, maybe break it out during. Um, so, you know, I is is my understanding is when COVID nineteen kicked off, you thought to yourself hey, you know what, maybe since I'm going to be home so much, I'm going to work on cocktails a little bit yeah. more. Um, what did your experience with cocktails look like before that? Is there, and sometimes we can't remember a first drink, but is there a bar or a place you remember first having your interest peaked? Yeah, about it's, them? it's interesting because I was in law school and I went to visit a girlfriend in Nashville and in Nashville, we went to this kind of speakeasy type bar and we were speaking with the bartender. The bartender was mentioning that he actually got a lot of his skills from taste in St. Louis, which was really interesting. And because the drinks were fabulous and I was like, I haven't been to taste before. And so I went to taste. I think I actually went with my husband and we went to taste and the cocktails were fantastic you know and just the knowledge that they had when they were explaining these things and I've always enjoyed a cocktail but I could never tell you what necessarily I enjoyed about it I just knew what was good and what wasn't and so with the way they had this passion to explain these drinks to me I was like this is this is fabulous so I just kind of frequented the the bar scene in St. Louis or the cocktail scene in St. Louis enough that my interest continued to peak you know and then we went I went on a girls trip to gosh I can't remember where we went I actually think it was in Nashville again and um, we were you know just like the little shops that they have throughout the city Um, there was a shop and there was this awesome cocktail book that was just really involved but it was you know, going through the origin story of the cocktail, it went through how to make your own syrups and all these things. And I said to myself, oh, one day I'll, you know, I'll open this up. And I think that was in 2016. And that book sat on this counter for years, never opened it up, never thought about it. But then when COVID hit, I was like, well, you know, I've got this thing and I've always loved to cook. I mixed it in with my cocktail, or not not my cocktail books, but my recipe books. And it just sat there and I was like, you know what, let's, let's give this a shot. And I had nothing but time, obviously, with COVID. So that's, I think I went further than your question, but that's kind of how it started and, and where we are, how we got to where we are now. No, that's interesting. I, um, so basically, vacation kind of, had you thinking in a slightly different way about cocktails suddenly and obviously the St. Louis reference clearly was like oh like you know uh, makes you think about it at home and so the book that you ended up running with Mm -hmm. during the initial um uh, stay-at-home order mm-hmm. is is the is is the book that uh, that you bought in Nashville at that point in time. Yeah, and refresh me. What's the title of of that book? Um, so the the name of the book is the New Cocktail Hour, and you know it basically is 
formed around the premise of just the essentials, what you need to know for any home bartender, just a real family-friendly, not family-friendly, but new user kind of intro to, to cocktails and how to make those things and how to make drinks and all that stuff. So it was a great, it was a great I think, start for me, too, because, um, you know, it, it also gave you what kind of food would go well with this cocktail. You know, it gave you everything that I think people want to know about a cocktail without being intimidating. There's even pictures, you know, so it's it was a great start for me. And when you began, obviously plenty of, of time on your hands mm-hmm. at that point, but do you remember it was like you started with recipe one or let me see what I have on my existing bar? How did, and, and obviously whether you remember drink one or not is not important, but I yeah. guess, what do you feel like your mindset was when you were just starting with that? I think it was a combination. We always kept alcohol in the house. Um, and I started with the this book during COVID just reading it you know I just wanted to flip through actually see what the book had to offer and I saw how much easier it was than I thought it would be and so I looked at what I had on hand and the cool thing about this book is it says pretty much the essentials you need to have a good cocktail bar and it just started with gin you know and and then you know you have your your basics like a Campari or something just simple that you can to make a, a base level drink and so I think potentially the first was a Negroni just because that's kind of how they formed the book and we had gin we had I mean I could buy Campari because they have it in the grocery store you know so it was some nothing I had to really search for and so um, I think it was a combination of what was easily accessible what didn't take a lot of act on my part you know to do it and what was I familiar with already and that's kind of how we we started and I mean uh I do feel like that um I I like to say this often I feel like Campari is kind of like the olives or cilantro (laughs) of the food world people people are either on team Campari or they are off yeah 100 percent um but yeah like I mean a classic like a Negroni like how, how much you know you know, again, to someone who's on the outside looking in, but mm-hmm. yeah, just measure the you know three ingredients same time in the same amount. Yeah. It's kind of um, it is pretty foolproof. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you're going to like Campari or not, <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other question yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it it was just kind of interesting to see just how well balanced and how easy it is to get a well balanced drink. You know, and so I think the other thing about this journey for me has been. Now that I know how to make something simple and easy, what does changing this ingredient do to this cocktail? And what gin do I actually like in this cocktail? Now I can be that person that says, oh, can you make me a Negroni with this type of gin Mm -hmm. instead of this type of gin? You know, so you can become a snob if you want to be. But it just it's nice to see just how simple it is. And then you can get more exploratory on that Mm -hmm. once you have those basics. And you know, each of us has our own uh, taste palette, flavor profile, mm-hmm. but are there things that you've learned in general you're more drawn towards, or even obviously with friends or maybe even a few other people who've happened upon your your handle on, on Instagram, uh, Daily Cordial, uh, are there things that you've found that you either didn't know that you've liked or ingredients you 
feel like people are like misunderstand people are like oh like I didn't know you could work with that so yeah it's um I guess for the latter part of your question absinthe is really interesting to me because I was not familiar with a, a rinse before you know I thought it had to be you know a pour like the rest of the ingredients and and it was a little aggressive. The licorice is always a little aggressive to me, but now that I've found that you just rinse the glass with that, it provides like the perfect balance or even like a chartreuse. Sometimes that can be, I am a, I can have it or, or I can leave it sort of person because it can be a little aggressive to me at times. So I think learning about the technique of rinsing with some of those things that can be a little more dominant in a cocktail is just a, um, a cool thing that I've, gathered I think my taste preferences um I love a good boozy heavy cocktail that um you you can use with just a a slow melt cube like that's kind of what my preference is I've I prefer the agave family that's my my jam my all-time favorite cocktail that um Jeff always makes fun of me for trying to order at every single bar, no matter if it's a cocktail bar or not, is a Oaxaca old fashioned. That that is my my all time favorite. So I found that the I, I found that with agave liquors, the the nature and the complexity of those flavors can be just as dominant as a bourbon or whiskey cocktail that is so much more mainstream. So I think that's where I've I've settled in my cocktail journey. And so a Oaxacan Old Fashioned would typically be an ounce and a half of tequila, probably Reposado, Mm -hmm. um, and then a half ounce of mezcal. Do you find yourself following that, or have you you adjusted it over time? Or, or, you know, hey, once you fall into a rhythm with something, why break it? So Mm -hmm. has your uh, interest in diving deeper with it, or is it just kind of tried and true? Let let me not even think about when I'm making this. I prefer mezcal. To tequila so I like to flip the the proportions a lot of times or make it a an even split for the the two of them but yeah at a at a restaurant the tried and true just do the one and a half reposado and a half ounce of mezcal is what I am happy to take because I think just that is easy but my preference is I like a little bit more smoke I let it a little bit more bite that you get from the mezcal so I like to flip those proportions when I'm making it at home okay got it yeah that's um certainly reminds me of my my buddy Brandon who's also fairly avid and uh (laughs) you know and and I think this is also an important thing just for people in general is that um he would be for like a straight mezcal margarita Mm -hmm. and I like mezcal a lot but to me uh, he wants to go full two ounce pour <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to put half tequila or even maybe three quarters tequila because yeah. at moments it can be just m- more than I want. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's the other thing too. It's like, um, cause I don't know if, if you have, um, a thought on this because I feel like when people see a recipe, they're like, okay, so this is handed down from God <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I can't doctor this but I feel like that's one of the biggest things is finding this comfort with experimenting a yeah. little bit well and it's you know you came for my birthday and and we really focused on modifiers and how to to just play with your basic recipes and that was something that I, I was doing a little bit but now it, it provided a, a bigger comfort so just when we were talking about the vermouths you know and just how 
the more bitter, you know, sorts of concepts that we can introduce into cocktails and, you know, just understanding what the proportions are so you understand the balance, but you can play with it and flip it depending on your taste. And and I think the most simple thing that I'd never considered was taste these things before you put them in a drink, you know? And I had never really thought about that because I think part of it was like, oh, don't waste the, you know, <laughs> the product. But, you know, and since I've started trying to just riff and do things at home, uh, I have just taken a sip of something. I was like, you know, that would be good with this. And let me let me taste that again to make sure. And so then I just kind of build off of that. But yeah, it's so true that these recipes, we think if I don't do this, and if I don't use the same type of alcohol they even recommend, then I'm screwing up the recipe. Right. Yeah. It's like this calls for beef eater and all I have is tank array. And it's like, no, actually like it, it, it'll be just fine. Right. Yeah. And you may need to adjust it a little bit, but that is the play side. And, and I think it gets to two things. One, not speaking about these things in such reverential tones mm-hmm. that people feel like they can't play a little bit. Yeah. But second, you know, also like there are understandably very expensive craft spirits out there. Yeah. And yeah, you know what? Maybe don't break out the, you know, 25 year <laughs> aged, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Having more cocktail spirits is, mm-hmm. is, is, is certainly another approach right there. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, there's something about the, cocktail community that I love it I love that you can become this person that's such an expert that it's intimidating to people but I also find especially since doing this at home and talking to coworkers and friends just like I'm doing this so I can show everybody can do it and you know I may not have the proper gear but you can you can work with what you've got you know and and just have fun with it because the it's a tangible outcome at the end of the day mm-hmm. and you get a benefit from it. You know, so I I love that you can get pretentious and I love that you can get really, you know, in deep, but also it's so simple and so accessible for so many people. Yeah. What do you think about... Um, so you mentioned... Uh, obviously, a lot of the time you've spent doing this has been during the pandemic mm-hmm. and we all have had different... Um, lifestyles mm-hmm. during the pandemic, but uh, I know that you know you and Jeff have at least you know you know go do a little bit of this or that. Yeah, I'm always interested in, and I have my own thoughts on this when it comes to something like the liquor store or going to a bar. And not all bars are created equal. Not all bars are meant to be cocktail bars. Mm-hmm. When you look at a menu in a restaurant or a bar, are there levels of descriptions? that are helpful that are missing do you like it if something's very vague if it's very specific Mm -hmm. what is your thought on what bars you think maybe and maybe not by name per se but like what bars are doing well and Mm -hmm. what they could be doing better to appeal to people yeah i it's interesting because i think now i can handle vague because i recognize some of what they're talking about and i can picture those proportions i can pick pictured this cocktail in my head but I think for the average person you should say because sometimes they even just say like a brand and they don't necessarily say what that is and so some people just don't even know what that is I prefer you say um brandy versus you know Pierre Ferrand you know what I mean I prefer you you say what the ingredient is um and I don't need 
proportions. I don't think any bar has ever done that. Like, oh, we do two ounces of this. You know, I don't need any of that. But I do think there's some places that it's cool where they're like, this is a stirred cocktail versus a shaken, which would be, I think, really neat to see. And so you have an idea of, well, okay, this may not have ice. This may be served neat. This may, you know, this is going to be much more involved in tiki like so there's categories there um when i was in uh, los angeles recently we went to death and company and they they break it by how strong the drink's going to be they break it down by you know stirred versus shaken and so i think that's a really cool you feel engaged and i think even the average user could have a conversation with the wait wait staff and just ask for recommendations based on that right right i it is certainly part of my thing is uh, I, 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 I've heard, you know, people say like, if you give someone too much interpretation mm-hmm. that they'll then just see what you've painted for them as opposed to, but I think sometimes someone sees a, a vu Carre, a, <laughs> a Manhattan riff yeah. and like they have no association yeah. to that that is. So even if they know what a Manhattan is, even <laughs> though it says bourbon, brandy, vermouth, Benedict, they're just like, their brains can't handle it. And mm-hmm. I mean that in the most loving way possible. Yeah, yeah. And I just wonder if bars are like, uh, if they want to sell things more, what else do they owe someone in terms of boozy, lighter? Yeah. Um, you're probably going to smell little bits of this, taste little mm-hmm. bits of this. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. I feel like that could be helpful at times. That's a really interesting thought. I, I agree with that. And I do think it provides a little bit more ownership and in the the person the the customer you know i think it does allow them to feel again less intimidated this is something that i'm comfortable having conversations about or maybe if they did break it down by the familiar okay here's the old-fashioned categories you know here's your margarita categories things like that which are so much more familiar you know and comfortable for people right yeah because even if you take something like uh, a margarita and a sidecar. I mm-hmm. mean, you have brandy versus tequila, lime versus lemon, mm-hmm. but they still are to a degree more similar than different. Yeah. And at least the margarita gives you like this reference point mm-hmm. as opposed to us hoping that you figure out what that is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when I do, th- I do agree with you as well in terms of like brand names or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim Wiggins from Yellow Belly was telling me like one of the things that I know that's on their their menu when they're going to use like an orgeat like an almond syrup mm-hmm. he'll just write almond instead because most oh. people are like what the, I, I don't even know how to say this what is orgeat yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. so yeah I, I just feel like giving additional help like that is good do you have any thoughts on as well when you are shopping mm-hmm. for stuff um, one you have you know, a corner store, so to speak. You also have like these liquor emporiums mm-hmm. that you just go, go on for, for days. Yeah. What to you is interesting versus, and you know, maybe as, as you and I better know how to navigate these things, maybe sometimes they're less overwhelming. Yeah. But what are your thoughts? Or I don't know if you, you and friends have gone out to like the liquor store and like just watch, I don't know. So anyways, I'm curious to get your thoughts on liquor stores. Basically. Yeah. Um, I do think there is such a thing as, too much you know I think there's too many options a lot of times I also think um, we get caught up in I think we may have talked about this but pricing and I think sometimes just because they think something's expensive 
it it is better you know i would think just like the the menu conversation it would be great if these liquor stores could break it down great cocktail you know great sipping great you know what i mean and just mm-hmm. kind of break it down so people understand what what they're looking for if you're gonna go put coca-cola and something don't go buy you know this this category of stuff it is um i don't know i i like to stay local for my my shopping i i tend not to i try not to do like the total wine um hub but sometimes that's that's the only option you know because they have more they have uh, bigger reach for right sure. yeah yeah more ability to get things but i try to stay as local as i can and the smaller shops have a little bit more of an ability to engage with you and and I can say this is what I've enjoyed and this is kind of what I'm looking for because I you know there are so many brands of and brown is something I'm still trying to get really familiar with to me I need to know what about this whiskey is it going to be a real fire rye or is it going to be something a little smoother because this is what I'm looking for in my Manhattan you know stuff like that so I like having conversations with the staff and I prefer it to be a staff member that is actually familiar with the product versus will people always buy this sort of sort of product so I like engaging I like having conversations um, and I try to look at the distributor try to see if there's you know similarities there that I'm familiar with in the product you know like the Buffalo Trace family Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. they make good things and stuff like that so I try to stay small, I try to stay local, and I try to engage when I have questions just to say, this is what I've liked, this is what I've enjoyed, I'm happy to try something new. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is um, has begun to come back a little bit here and there, but you know, if there is a liquor store out there near you that has a tasting bar Mm -hmm. because a number of these places for you know sometimes if it's on feature they're just giving out samples but um throw down two three four dollars for a pour of something before you spent go and spend 30 bucks on it totally agree yeah and yeah it's it's a great moment too and the harder part and this is like yeah i mean unless you want to spend all day at the liquor store (laughs) which not a bad idea but but also what you're going to buy taste it even against what you know mm-hmm. so you're a big brokers frank fan right. and now you're thinking about getting some boodles gin mm-hmm. get a taste of them side by side yeah because so often we're like we're we're trying to recall what whiskey tastes like yeah yeah as opposed to be, being confronted with that a b test yeah is a great way to suddenly be like okay this is but how spicy or whatever is this compared to yeah x and you know i also try to look at the rail in quotes of some of my favorite cocktail like planners and you know yellow belly and going to taste and seeing what are you using just in your basic cocktails so I know well that's good and I know it's not going to be uber expensive to buy for myself and then that gives me a an understanding of what these flavors are so I can take it and have and build upon that with my liquor store run you know that's um that's a real good one and probably something that like I'm I've done I, mm-hmm. I do but yeah. yeah a great tip to people is like another great reason to sit at the bar is like 
look at the rail that they're working yeah, from yeah. because those are great workhorses yeah. that are going to be highly reliable yeah. to put on the bar at that and point. And to, you know, make sure it's a cocktail bar. You know, like if you're going of to, like, yeah, you know, the rail for a pop-off, you know, it's not necessarily what we're talking about. But yeah, I think that those places know what works and what's good and what's reasonably priced. So mm-hmm. it's a good starting point. So you've talked a little bit about uh, the agave family mm-hmm. and so one be interested to hear more about that but in terms of things that you've kind of really fallen for that you think more people might be and, and taste is still relative yeah, yeah. but things that you think more people should be putting on their shelves mm-hmm. at home what what has surprised you or have you kind of re- gotten more into well I've had girlfriends that were a hundred percent. Like I just don't drink gin. I do not like gin. And you know, we've had parties since, or I've had people over and I'll make a gin cocktail and they're like, this doesn't taste like gin at all. This is fabulous. You know? And so I do think, and I got that from back to this book. I got that from here because they say like the base most often for these original classics is a gin based cocktail, you know? And so there. I've gotten to explore the differences. I had no clue what slow gin was before, and it's a fabulous product, you know, and it's red, and it's something that nobody would ever imagine to be a gin. Um, So I I think gin should be on people's shelves. I think they should definitely try it out because juniper is intimidating and aggressive for some people, but there are gins out there that are not heavy on the juniper berry at all, you know? So I, that has been fun to see. Um, brandy and cognac, I never thought I would ever have on my shelves. You know, it, I guess for me, it's, it was like the college liquor that I couldn't ever have again, but, um, I've fallen in love with that and seen, you know, like we talked about with the sidecar and just seeing how you can make these cocktails with that, that, you can change from the basic bourbon whiskey ingredient and substitute that for a little bit more of a dynamic flavor profile. So I, I think if I'm going to sit, tell somebody to start with something that they wouldn't ordinarily buy, I'd say gin for sure. Um, because I think it can be used in a lot of ways that's surprising to people. Mm-hmm. I, uh, just earlier this week, I had a class with, um, uh, a group of business owners and, uh, most of them were probably, I would say probably it's fair, late 40s to early 60s. Mm-hmm. And our final drink that night was a Tom Collins. Mm-hmm. And more than one of them were like, oh, I just don't do gin. Mm-hmm. And I do think so much of it is when you talked about your college moments right there. Yeah. yeah. We were subjecting ourselves to, to lots of <laughs> and often not very good quality yeah. product. Yeah. And we made it. We like, well, I know I don't like that thing. <laughs> and I, and to me, that's my, why my personal mission is rum because yeah. Yeah. rum to most people is Captain Morgan. And, <laughs> and I think I can remember buying unnecessary amounts of like Gilby's gin <laughs> yeah. in, in college and being yeah. like, yeah, I mean that, that Christmas tree smell right there. That's, that takes me to places I don't want to go. Yeah. Yeah. 
Exactly. And that's why so many people, you know, I've never been offended by tequila, but I think it's the same for tequila. But I feel like tequila is getting more trendy now. So people are trying to get back on the, yeah, you've got celebrities starting a bunch of tequila brands, but I think gin is just one of the, I used to get told I was a hobo for drinking it. You know what I mean? So that's, that's, but I agree with you, rum too. It's just, there's so many things that we drink such trash early on that we don't realize that there's just such good stuff out there do you um so for me going first um i'm pretty sure it was my buddy ryan going back to college at some point he was just aware of i honestly even think through like old 70s or 80s movies like gin gimlets and so we were (laughs) drinking garbage gimlets in college and now to realize like oh this is very different much better yeah uh, for your like if you were having brandy or cognac mm-hmm. and uh, what do you remember what informed that you would try that instead of what I had a gimlet or whatever yeah what, what made yeah. that your drink of choice do you remember I think it was just you know music videos really. <laughs> like the rap culture probably <laughs> like a hundred percent Hennessy and Sprite is what we were sipping on all the time and it was awful <laughs> absolutely awful um but you know, and I'm not to say that Hennessy is terrible or anything. It's just like the which I, I wouldn't, I don't have it on my shelf. But I think that again, it brings it back to just that trauma that we imposed on ourselves. Yeah, I actually was, uh, and I don't know if you've dug into this. I actually just the other day, my girlfriend shared with me, and I listened to an interview about how, in addition to that, how. Uh, cognac in particular became so endeared and like it how it even predates that because they talked about um african-american soldiers stationed over abroad mm-hmm. during world war ii Are, have you have you no, heard the story no so uh, stationed abroad during world war ii becoming very used to it also um former st louis and uh josephine baker who uh-huh. put up residence there became like one of their ambassadors so they're being served by her okay and for a long time not surprising in this country uh when when soldiers came back whiskey brands were trying to court them mm-hmm. but also getting a lot of mixed messages as mm-hmm. well and and that the uh cognac community saw an opportunity and really right. did that and then in the 80s and 90s they'd begun languishing again and it was Diddy and yeah. uh, and it's Buster Rhymes, yeah, yeah, for Pasta Pasta Cravassier, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when they saw Cravassier, all the other companies went out mm-hmm. and moved back into the community again. And, yeah. And so they 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 talked about at least that at moments when, and it's, that's a is a very that's a very long conversation. That another moment of, of our country, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever, doing awful things. Um, that the French companies. Yeah. saw an opportunity mm-hmm. to kind of uh, create great brand rep, rep, uh, reputation yeah. recognition, and, yeah. uh, and really generate a lot of loyalty in the mm-hmm. long run. Yeah, it's so interesting because, yeah, it was, it was the, not necessarily the brand, but it was the genre or category of alcohol that if we were like, what is something that we will enjoy because it's represented right you know the remy the hennessy the cavassier like that that is cognac is the thing and so that's what i often would see people bring to to parties and stuff like that you know you've got your vodkas and all that stuff but if you were gonna have something that was the the thing i'll tell you i mean i guess you know and you know country music does it too in its own way as well but Mm -hmm. like you know 
at moments, God bless hip hop for being very <laughs> o- o- apparent about like what what is being consumed, <laughs> right? Hun- hun- hundred yeah, yeah. yeah. percent. If I've ever seen a true hustler of those things, it's Rick Ross, man. <laughs> yeah. He is that man yeah. is he is re- he is relentless. That's uh, so funny. <laughs> so true. I mean, you want to talk about marketing? Yeah, that is a, it's a smart play. But that's I've opened myself back up to it, and I've you know I've found that I really do enjoy it. And I actually can sip it neat now, you know, once you get back into a, um, back into a groove of actually informing myself on what actually is a good product and not over serving myself, you know, that's Mm -hmm. always key. But, um, yeah, I think we all have it, but I say, you know, get back to it because there's just such a good variety of options out there for us. Sure. Beyond the Oaxaca Old Fashioned, mm-hmm. um, guests are coming over, mm-hmm. and you don't want to trouble yourself too much, yeah. but you're either going to prep in advance, or there's one thing you're going to be ready mm-hmm. for six, eight, ten people. Yeah. What do you think it is you might uh, might want to share at the time? Gosh. And clearly there's like what's top of mind in the moment, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I guess I don't know if, you, if there's like a crowd pleaser that comes to mind for you. I think... You know, what I always like to do, especially if I was going to go to a a dinner party, it's so easy to batch a Manhattan. And I really like Rittenhouse Rye. It's like a $20 bottle, but I think it really can hold its own in something so simple. And I'm not spending a ton of time and money to make it. I'll batch a couple Manhattan bottles for people and bring that. And it's just so good if you have a good one, you know, that's um, welcoming enough for people that that aren't intimidated and they know what they're getting. If I've got, I'm trying to think, usually I try not to make too many tequila things for friends on the jump because they just don't, don't prefer it. Um, you know, and I try not to force things onto people, but I'm trying to think what I, I would make, but off the top, I just know that I, batch Manhattans most frequently for people and I just bring that with me there's usually a a big citrus focus for me for like gatherings or parties and things like that but I just can't think off the top of my head one of my friends her favorite thing is a sidecar so for her birthday I made sidecar batches and stuff like that but I try to focus on batching as much as I can for especially during COVID it's like you know just bringing something everybody can pour themselves and you don't have me necessarily spending time to make a cocktail but when you get into batching in that Mm -hmm. way um and and this is something that frankly you know I I sometimes still wrestle with myself so are you making the big punch bowl Mm -hmm. are you mixing it in a bottle and like having people pour it out and shake it yeah do you have do you have a thought on on that one way or the other yeah I do think so with batching I try not to batch anything that requires like bubbles or because obviously you don't want to batch that because then you've got to make it on top of where you are so I try to do cocktails or batch cocktails that don't need anything other than maybe put an ice cube in your glass to do the dilution. I still haven't quite figured out the perfect dilution with batching. So I tell people this needs to be, you know, this needs to be served with ice. You know, this needs to be melted down a little bit so you don't have just a strong, (laughs) a strong cocktail. Um, But yeah, my, my approach is generally just to do something 
maybe not even always citrus because I think that can turn if you, you know, mm-hmm. want to keep it for a little bit. So my batching approach is always the, the liquor forward cocktails that don't need much work, but just an incorporated stir that I can, you know, even keep incorporating in the bottle itself and then pour over some cubes if you, you have it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't know why so I guess as also as I, you know, I mean, it, it, it's fun to look at a selection people put together. So if you've begun to maybe move past mm-hmm. the cocktail hour book, or maybe you're still working through it, mm-hmm. are there other resources you've found useful in terms of um, your own self-learning journey at this point in time? Yeah, uh, we've talked about it. The certain goals for me are to do more with the syrup family, the simple family, do more incorporating of fresh ingredients and infusing cocktails or infusing liquor. Um, I'm really interested in something that I've always found intimidating was the bitters category. You know, um, I do think they can really change a drink in the Oaxaca. The Angostura is the thing that really ties it all together, I think. So I actually recently bought a, a book that just is telling you about bitters what you know how to make them and then hopefully I can spend time playing with making my own bitter batches and just to get more familiar with what these do to a cocktail and how these change the drink once you know once you've played I have your basic orange Angostura and like a chocolate bitter but other than that I don't Mm -hmm. I don't really know I mean I've got the Peychaud's and I've got Creole but I don't use them much unless the the recipe calls for it so that that is the I'm trying to get more familiar with those those sorts of modifiers that I can play with and actually make the drink my own. Um, and then I'm now trying to just get more familiar, like with especially my love for agave, I've gotten a couple books in that family. And so now I'm drinking so tall, which isn't even an agave, but it's very similar to mezcal. So, you know, I'm I'm learning more and I've actually just getting more even for the sipping types of liquors that don't need a cocktail because I've just like, oh, this is just so good. And sometimes I just want really good alcohol. And now that I'm familiar with it, I'm comfortable purchasing this versus this. So, um, but in the cocktail realm, yeah, I'd say the bitters and infusions and things like that are what I'm trying to work on. Got it. So we talked about, um, so you talked about, you know, kind of coming back to brandy Mm -hmm. after a while. Are there uh, ingredients or styles of drinks out there you've tried where you're just like, this is never going to be a thing for me at all? You know, I joke because I've never met a cocktail I didn't like. No, I just, I don't think so. I can't think of anything that I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Because I still love a good margarita, you know, and I think you cannot go wrong, you know, adding, I just think you can do so much with a margarita. It's like you can add spice, you can add different citrus, you could, you know, combine a reposado with a mezcal you can just do blanco you know so there's so many things so I just can't think of any cocktail category or type that I've had that I'm that is is too much you know or I've done it too many times anything like that I can't think of anything um I'm trying to explore more on the non-familiar side so I can you know um just broaden my my knowledge but I can't think of anything cool so we have if people are getting started one people should probably think about putting more tequila on (laughs) on their shelves at home 
Um, yeah, any other tips or thoughts out there for people that are that are kind of like they they've gotten started, but they're looking to push things to the next level? Mm-hmm. Uh, drinks you'd recommend they try, or just other things you'd recommend they put on the home bar at this point? Well, I think vermouths are really important because I think they can add a sweetening aspect to your drinks without you needing the simple all the time which I think is great but I wasn't familiar with the refrigeration requirement because of the um, the base that's different than a liqueur which has the alcohol you know it's like a wine base and so the fermentation that's that's happening so that's always something if you're gonna buy those things which is great just make sure you have room in your fridge which I barely have room for but um, that that's just something that I don't think you necessarily are told or it's such an assumption I think for people that they wouldn't know that um, but things to to definitely have in your bar I would say don't buy, sorry, don't buy simple, make it yourself. It's so much cheaper and so much easier. So don't, don't buy it. Um, and then for what you must supply, I don't know. I can't remember where I started, but I think you get, uh, get yourself a, a good base alcohol. If it's gin, if it's tequila, if it's whiskey, if it's rum get yourself a bitter type of modifier you know chinar or if it's um um i don't know what else do i like on the bitter side a campari something i think depending on how bitter you like it i like a good bitter cocktail and then get a sweetener a vermouth a blanc vermouth or a, a red vermouth that can help balance some of these cocktails and then just play with it and then citrus is your friend i think for for all things so don't be intimidated by lemon lime or grapefruit you know play with those for a number of people out there if they'd hear the term chinar they'd be like maybe i've seen that yeah what what is that are there um so it has an artichoke Mm -hmm. base to it even though that doesn't necessarily always present in the boldest manner is there a and obviously sometimes I can, can't think of recipes off the top of my mind, but in mm-hmm. terms of things you enjoy doing with, with Chinar, anything yeah. come to mind quickly? Yeah. Or off the top of your head, I should I, say. I like Chinar with, um, I actually really like it with Mezcal. I like it with uh, a rye whiskey as well, and bourbon. I think it 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 is not as aggressive for those that don't like Campari. It's definitely not as um, bitter, but I think that in a, a stirred cocktail can add just a little bit of bite to take away any level of sweetness. And I think it can help with a heavy boozy, you know, feel, feel if you're just tasting the alcohol, I think it provides a little dynamic. There's no necessary recipe that I can think of. I mean, I'm, there's like the chokehold or something like that, but I think if you want to mix it in and add a little bit of bite to your, to your cocktail, a half ounce, you know, is is a good addition, I think, for me. And so is that like in a Manhattan format? Yeah. You're thinking, okay. Yeah. So I've got yeah. two ounces of my uh of my añejo tequila or mm-hmm. my or my whiskey. Yeah. And in addition to the vermouth, I'm putting in a little bit of chinar. Yeah. In okay. Yeah, absolutely. And stir that and and just drink it either with a cube or drink it neat. Yep. And just drink some chinar on the rocks. Yeah. Yeah. So I think so far that's kind of the questions I had. Mm -hmm. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to share regarding your 
practice what you've learned over the past I'd, I'd love to hear whatever you have to share oh, it's been fun I always get like clam up because I'm like I don't know necessarily I would not put myself out to be an expert by any means you know I just think if you like cooking if you're one of those people that likes to just kind of experiment with things you know you can totally do that and it makes so much sense with the cocktails because it's just what flavors work with what Um, as long as you understand the basic proportion of you know what what kind of cocktail you like then you feel free to to mix and match but I also say that those that don't like experimentation are more on the baker side of things it's also great because you know exactly what you need and those those proportions will never you know steer you wrong so I just want everybody to know I have no particular skill I like to drink and that's where we started and that's (laughs) where I am ending you know but um feel free to look at my page I don't do anything fun it's just telling people it's so easy to do yeah out on out on daily cordial on Instagram but I would say I mean putting in that much time yeah in the trenches but really (laughs) behind the bar um you know to be able to talk about things Mm -hmm. like chinar and chartreuse and whatnot um shows I, I mean whether or not a person wants to own being an expert, <laughs> yeah. uh, the amount you know at this point is certainly reflects what happens when you apply yourself to yeah. something. So, yeah. uh, and and I, I will say when I see some of the riffs you're making up, I'm like, man, she is she is going for it, which <laughs> which, which is fun. Uh, yeah, because at home, I'm admittedly I'm a, a fairly uh, I'm always interested in like understanding like what's happening behind a recipe, mm-hmm. but I am less of a riff maker when I'm at home yeah I'm really more why is this here uh and I I suppose what can go in its place and you're just putting it into practice all the time yeah I'm I'm workshopping (laughs) but uh I appreciate how often you're like hey I was feeling this and so I I I ran in this direction I I I like that uh that confidence I think the scientific approach that you have is just so much more beneficial because you retain the information and you 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 get the knowledge and you have a base for it and then you understand it where I can't always express or explain (laughs) what I've learned you know just because I've just never been that type of person but I feel like my gut tells me this and this is what it is but I could never relay that to another person Mm -hmm. you know to tell them how to do it unless they watch and then in the moment things are coming and I can can tell them so I really like your approach and the even just the the breakdown when you came for my birthday and it was like flip this over and you've got you know a a more aperitif style cocktail versus but you can explain that in such a way even when you were like margarita take this out add this change the citrus you've got this new cocktail you've got you know the daisy family so I just think it's such a better approach if you were trying to be a teacher and that's why you're so great at it you know where I'm just like you know, we're going to figure it out. And if it sucks, it sucks. That's right. All I know is in a minute, we're about to have a cocktail. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so just uh, have fun with it. I, I'm enjoying it. It's It was nice that I got a an opportunity to slow down and actually look at the things I've purchased, you know. Um, but then finding a new hobby that I do promise I don't get hammered every night. I probably make one or two, but that's about it. Because there is something about the effort it takes to make a cocktail which I don't want to say is 
um, extensive, but just the act of making it kind of slows you down, Mm -hmm. you know, versus just being at the bar and ordering them. So um, I really have enjoyed the the cocktails a lot more than I used to just drinking them, I think. I appreciate them. And I appreciate the cost for these cocktails nowadays. Yeah. More yeah. than I used to. You can definitely see why. Yeah. You see what's going into it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for thank taking you. some time today. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you so much. You bet. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you liked the interview, the transcript and show notes are located at decodingcocktails.com slash podcast. The Decoding Cocktails podcast is produced by Chris Bay and myself, Chris LeBeau. Subscribe to avoid missing an episode. And if you think this is good stuff, share it with a friend or review us on your listening platform. And check out our newsletter, Cocktail Confidential. Remember, the best way to get better at mixology is to practice. And the best way to do that is in the company of friends and family. Happy cocktailing, everybody.